Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Lake of the Ozarks message podcast. To learn more about our church, please visit us online by visiting ccloto.org or download our app in your app store today. As we jump into today's message, our hope and our prayer is that you'd be challenged and encouraged in your walk and relationship with Jesus. Now, let's jump into the word together. What I love about God is the context that he is a God that fulfills. Like when I think of my life, when I was BC Nick, you know, before Christ, living in my sin, had no real purpose. And everything that I was running after to try to fulfill the void, you know, Ecclesiastes tells us that it's a, uh, a God-sized hole in our hearts. But I was running after everything that I could find to try to fill that void. And what I found was nothing this side of glory was fulfilling that in me. It's kind of a C.S. Lewis quote that I'm going to paraphrase, which is a fancy way to say I'm going to butcher it. You know what I mean? Um, But C.S. Lewis said, you know, when I find a need within my heart and soul that the physical world can't fulfill, then obviously I was made for another world. And I love that. And it's actually kind of a, a, that concept is the foundation that's used for one of the many arguments for the existence of God is the argument from need. Because how could we have a need and if there wasn't a true fulfillment for it? But we, but we have a need within our heart and our soul. And, and so, for, so that when I came to the Lord and we find hope and we find salvation in Christ, one of the things that we say is we find purpose. We find fulfillment. Same broken, crazy life that I've always had to deal with and live through and the same kind of struggles in my own life. But I, now I have fulfillment. I have purpose in Christ. And so for God to be that God that fulfills, you know, for me, it's one of the reasons that I want to continue to study his word because, you know, we, as we're reading through scripture and we see these different promises or we see these things that God says that he will do, like we could put that on a list and write that down. All the things that God said that he will do. And as we continue studying his word, then every once in a while we'll start seeing, and it's actually quite a bit of times how he fulfills that. And then you have to ask yourself, well, what about all the things that God said that he will do, but he hasn't fulfilled them yet? Well, it goes back to the first song that we sang. Great is your faithfulness. That's where we find our hope in God is that he is not just who he says that he is, but he will do exactly what he says he will do. And I think that's one of the biggest struggles that we have in the American Christian church is that we want to take the promises that we want God to fulfill and, these, and we put these false expectations on him. That we're starting at our own heart, which the Bible says is deceitful and cannot be trusted. Who can know it? No, we start with God. We start with his character. And then we see what he promises And then when we root ourselves in him and what his promises are, we will never be disappointed. I believe every time it'll far exceed our expectation. Like, I don't think any one of us, because of our faith in Jesus and we die and we go to heaven, I don't think we're going to walk in and be like, oh, I thought it would have been a little bit nicer. I thought the carpet would have been a little bit cleaner. You know, like none of us are going to be disappointed in that. 
I think it'll far exceed our expectations. And what you see even here in Genesis, in the, and we're finishing up the first chapter. So if you want to turn your Bibles there, not too difficult to find. First book of the Bible. And we're starting, picking back up in verse 14. And what we find in the second half of chapter 1, if you remember last week, God forms in the first three days. And now he's going to fill or fulfill what he formed. And so if you have your Bible, read along with me here. In Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 14 till the end of the chapter. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. So if you remember back day one, he says, let there be light. And so day four, he's fulfilling it with the sun, moon and stars. And now verse 20, and God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the water swarm. And here's kind of a key thing that we really need to focus on according to their kinds. And every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. So again, if you go back and you look at day two and he creates the expanse of their sky. So he separates the waters. So we have the sky above and the sea below. What does he do? Day five, he fulfills them. He gives birds and he gives sea creatures. God is fulfilling even in his creation. Verse 24, and God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds. Why is that such a big focus? Little little rabbit trail side note. Um, Because what we have to counter against is the worldly understanding of evolution. That what uh, Darwin may be, Uh, saw in a micro level, meaning, um, you know, he was studying finches and birds and he saw different adaptations within that. And so he took it from a micro level to a macro level. And so micro evolution, yeah, I would hold to that. There's adaptations within species, but you never see one species change kind. There's never been any history of that. Even evolutionists will tell you the fossil record is dead quiet about having one kind evolve to another kind. So micro, small adaptations within a species, absolutely. And it's usually, you know, because of the conditions that they are around. But a macro, like big evolution going from, you know, like what we joked about last week, the goo to you via the zoo and... No. It's not there, not because of the word of God. We just don't even see it in science, the fossil record. We have no, nothing of it. That's why evolution, macro evolution is a philosophical 
argument, not a scientific one. And so when we see that in the world around us, and then we come to the word of God, and it says, according to its kind, according to its kind, according to its kind. The Bible's being very scientific about that. And so God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds. So he kind of makes me wonder, like, so did he just create two dogs, male and female? And then from there, then we get, you know, the most amazing dog, a miniature Dotson, which if you have one and want to donate to the uh, Nick Pierce Foundation, more than happy to do that. Don't tell my wife I said that. You know, and then, you know, then you could breed them up. And so you get like a great Dane, which do not donate that to me. <laughs> I don't know. But it says according to their kinds and livestock and creeping things and beast of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. So even as we talked about last week, that rhythm that we see, God wants us to know I'm creating, but I'm a creating according to its kind. He didn't create one thing and just let it evolve into everything. He created everything according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And we still got one more thing that he created, but obviously what you see from day three, he creates an expanse uh, or a, a separation from the waters and the land, and he fulfills the land and living creatures, but he's going to take it even one more step, and he creates us, and he creates us very differently, and then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. I'm emphasizing that for a reason. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruits. And you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. So you're reading that right. We were vegetarians at creation. That would have been a tough one. That would have been a tough one. We don't get to start eating meat until after the flood. But we're coming up on that. And it was so, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it wasn't just good. It was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So we see this fulfillment that God has, even just in the days of creation. And he fulfills each of those, tagging day one, two, and three to four, five, and six, and then he rests on the seventh. And so I want to 
focus in on a couple little areas. I told uh, the team this morning as we were having prayer, uh, we're, we're going to punch some people in the teeth. And so if you're offended this morning, just, just let it be, right? And you might have a little bit of a sunburn. It's okay. Just let it happen. Process it. Understand it. Always bounce it off of the word of God. We have to look at our lives and kind of wonder, like, is this me here? Is he talking to me? Like, and every once in a while, I get people to come up and they're like, who told you? And who told me what? Who told you? I know what you were talking about up there. You were speaking directly to me. And I'm like, no, 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 no. The Lord was speaking directly to you because like, I'm sorry. I love you. I don't have the time to write a sermon about your life. Right. And I'm not going to waste, you know, 99 people's time because one wants to go astray. Like Jesus might go after the one, but like, we're going to let you run. No, tease him. Right. <laughs> so every once in a while people think like, oh, he's talking about me. And I am because all of us. You know, there's nothing, you know, everything that we fall to is common to us. Like, there's not one of us that are like, I'm all alone and nobody knows what it's like to be me. And no, not at all. We all struggle with the same things. So if the word of God and the spirit of God is hitting your heart and soul, yeah, that's him. I'm merely just a donkey that gets to carry Jesus into the world, right? So if you look at verse 16, God creates... The lights, the sun, the moon, and the stars. My daughter came home last night from hanging out with a certain young gentleman in her life. Oh, we were looking at the stars, and they were so beautiful. I thought, oh, really? Yeah, it looks like I'm going to have to punch a 16-year-old, a 17-year-old later. I'm going to get in trouble for that. But it was just kind of fun to hear her say that on the way to church this morning. And it was like, oh, that's what we're going to talk about this morning in the text is the beauty that God created in the stars. So the very thing that my daughter is experiencing, just the created glory of God in the stars, like that is something that I want her to experience. Maybe choose better company. No, <laughs> I'm teasing, I'm teasing. Yeah, they're right over there. That's the best part, you know what I mean? But the stars... God created the stars. If you will, if you want to, you can turn to Job with me. Uh, Job's an incredible, crazy story. And at the very end of Job, you know, you hear Job kind of say some pretty harsh things to God. And you hear Job's friends say some pretty harsh things about God. And then you get to the end of it and God's like, all right, now it's my turn. Let me speak into this. And so Job chapter 38, verses 31 and 32, God is speaking to Job and he's kind of challenging him. Like, who are you to kind of doubt and challenge me? Like, and he goes through all these things that only God can do. And he's saying it in the form of these kind of questions to challenge Job. And he says, verse 31, can you bind the chains of the Pleiades? Or loose the cords of Orion? Can you lead forth the Maseroth in their season? Or can you guide the bear with its children? What's God talking about? Stars. He's talking about the constellations. It's kind of a cool thing that God created that for us. That you know, And he's using that to reveal his glory to us. And if, if you remember us talking about Psalm 19, that the heavens contain a message from God and, the, and even the stars are speaking to us. Even the writers of the New Testament picked up on this idea. Luke chapter 1, Acts chapter 3, you hear this context of these holy prophets that were speaking from the very beginning. And if we just read that really quick, we would think those are people. Well, what people were there from the very beginning? 
He's talking about something else. I, I believe he's talking about the stars. And, and calling them a holy prophet because a prophet speaks for God. And so even creation, the stars that are above us are speaking from God. And we know that God has numbered all the stars and he knows them by name. I mean, have you looked to see how many stars are out there? And no matter how many you know, telescopes and images that we can get, there's just, we just keep finding more and more and more. And we hold to the word of God, knowing that he has, have, has them numbered and he knows them by name and that they are, in a sense, a holy prophet speaking for God and the glory of God. And so let's talk about, you know, the, the constellations or the, and there's a little quote here that's kind of, it's really unique and I find it very inspiring. It says, significantly, significantly the sequence of the zodiac, so all the constellations, right? Don't, don't get too weird on me here. The sequence of the zodiac, it's actually the same in every language and culture. That's very unique. It's the same in every language and every culture, even in the specific names, even if the specific names of the constellations change. So different languages and cultures might have a different name for them, but they're the exact same. So that no matter where you go, you could look up to the star in the heavens and you would have a unifying factor that they all look at those same constellations. And we know that the figures of those constellations suggested to us, they really don't even look like those things at all. So as you're out there stargazing, you're like, oh, there's Orion, there's a bear, there's a little dipper. And I'm just like, I'm lost as an Easter egg. Like, sure, yeah, what else are you smoking over there? I can't see any of that up there in the stars either, but whatever. But they never did. And that's the crazy part is even though it's like you, you don't see those, but it's something that we as humanity hold in, again, every language, every culture. And the names for the figures of the constellations, they're the same in all cultures. Maybe different wordage. And so here's the key point. This points to a pre-Babel beginning for all these things before the truth of the constellations was corrupted. How else could we have in every language and every culture the same if we can rewind the tape, which we will talk about when we get to Genesis 11, before there were separate languages? And they were speaking in one language, and there was these holy prophets, the glory of God, speaking out from his creation. It's what general revelation is. You know, we talk about specific revelation where God specifically reveals himself to in and through his word. But general revelation, he's revealing himself to everyone. It's even what Romans 1, what Paul is talking about, how there is not one human on earth that is without excuse. Why? Because he can look at the created world around him and he can see multiple truths about who we would say is God. And so nobody can roll up to God and be like, I had no idea that you ever existed. No, you just have to look up and even the stars will declare the glory of God. So why do we focus on the stars this morning so much? Like, is Nick going hippie on us right now? Like, what's he about to drop? But I understand, Satan's a counterfeiter. And how's he counterfeiting stars? Astrology. 
astrology is this range of, here's the definition here so I can get it right, the divination practices that claim to discern information about human affairs by studying the apparent positions of celestial objects. There's one really famous actor, and he, he got to be the keynote speaker at a high-level Ivy League college graduation. And he is telling this group of highly educated individuals, at least highly educated in the Ivy League, to speak to the universe. Tell the universe what you want, and it will deliver. I was like, oh, gag a maggot. You know what I was like? Speak to the universe. Like, so here's my daughter out to stargaze and just scream into the stars what she wants. Like, go inside, read your Bible. Who are you talking to? Like, no, you don't speak to the universe. We speak to the Lord. But again, Satan's a counterfeiter. Even down to anything that speaks of the glory of God, he wants to counterfeit it. And he wants to dilute it. And he wants to cheapen it, even down to the stars of our sky. So the first right hook that we'll get to the teeth, astrology, horoscopes, our sign. A lot of us, we like to dabble in that. We put a little too much weight now, if I sit down at a Chinese restaurant and they got that little red menu, you know, like I like to see, like, am I an ox? Am I a bear? Like, what am I again? And then it's like, all right, sweet and sour chicken, let's go. You know what I mean? Like, it's okay to know that. But when we start putting a lot of weight on it to say, oh, this now, because of the month I was born and this, you know, very vague paragraph that's going to be in the paper every day or the aligning of the stars and all this, this is going to guide and direct my everyday life. Who did we just remove? Two people. We removed the Lord from guiding and directing our life. And also the beautiful thing that the Lord gave us, human free will. Because I don't know if I want to take that argument to the Lord when I stand before him. Oh, it, it, it wasn't me. You, you created me in Aquarius. You had me born in January. You should have known that about me, that I was going to choose that. No, it removes the responsibility of us as humans to choose what is good. And so politely, kindly, you know, there's a hundred verses I could give you, Deuteronomy 4.19, one of them. We have to understand Satan will always counterfeit the glory of God. And I believe astrology and horoscopes and all of that is that very thing. And so if you are dabbling in it, repent, turn away from that. Seek the Lord, seek the spirit of God to lead and guide and direct your life. Not the month you were born, not the aligning of the stars, not some paragraph that was written in the paper. Seek the Lord. And so we see that God then creates all living creatures, birds, fish, animals, even the creepy crawly things on the ground that some of us are like, you know, I'm good to know that God created those. I just don't want to come face to face with that. You know, like my, my daughters, <clears throat> for some reason, they're all into reptiles. I thought, Really, Lord? Like, we got Barbies and we got reptiles. And they're like, can we get a snake? And I'm like, no, not at all. They're like, oh, you're afraid of snakes. No, 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 I'm not afraid of a snake. I'm just going to kill it, right? Like, from the very beginning, we see this creature kind of step. It's all like, I'm going to stomp on his head because I'm just trying to be like Jesus. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just trying to be like the Lord. So you bring a snake in my house, I'm going to kill it because I'm just trying to be like Jesus. 
And so, yes, I, yes, you know, some people find them magnificent and beautiful. Amen. Yes, God created them, but I'm just going to keep a little bit of a distance from them. I'm good with that. But God creates all of this. And what's crazy, when we think about the birds, the fish, and the animals, there's no real pattern that God was using. Just kind of in his own, in a sense, imagination. He sees some air up above us, and he says, oh, we should have something like fly through that. Like, could you imagine if, like, he would have created man first, and then God's talking to Adam and saying, all right, guess what I'm going to create next? Like, like, look above you. Like, try to jump. You know, we jump, what, a foot off the ground, and we just come slamming back down. Yeah, I'm going to create a creature that can just, like, fly through the air. Like, why didn't I get those powers? You know, it would have been baffling, I think, to Adam, and even when he was created, to look around and see that. But there was no pattern that God really used to create the birds, the fish, and the air. But if we look at the creation of man, what's he say? See, before, when he's talking about all the other living creatures and the animals, and yes, there is a very distinct line between us and animals. What's he say? Because with all the birds, fish, and the animals, he just says, let there be, and he just brings it forth. But when he goes to create man, what does he do? He's not looking outwardly at the waters or the land or the sky and how he's going to fulfill them. He looks inwardly at himself. And you might read verse 26 and be like, well, does God have like a personality disorder? Does he have like a multiple personality? Like what is going on here? It says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. We see hintings right here of the Trinity. And some people will be like, well, the, the word Trinity is never in the Bible. And it's like, true, on a couple of reasons. One, that's, that's an English word that we use, and it was written in Hebrew and Greek. But the concept of the Trinity is taught in Scripture. And so, yes, we walk book, chapter, verse by verse through Scripture. But when we take it as a whole, we see God the Father, His and God in three persons, we see God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, these three persons who is the Trinity, God, the Godhead is another word we might use. They look at themselves and say, let's make man like us. And then we get that burning question, how are we like God? Because like I walk into my bedroom, I'm like, let there be light and nothing happens, Right? And I got a whole electrical system with light bulbs, and it's like, I don't even have that kind of power, let alone creating something out of nothing. But what does it mean that we're created in the image and likeness of God? Those words are very uh, similar in the original language. A lot of times you'll see people like try to like hardline define them separately. Like, this is what it means for image. This is what it means for likeness. They're actually a lot, lot closer than what you think. And so when we think about who God is, we have to think about personhood. And sometimes that's going to be weird, but let's start at the foundation that God is a person. But what does it take to be a person? Because that's one of the struggles that we'll have with specifically God the Father. Because we know that God is spirit and truth, that there's not a bodily form unto the Father. And so how can he be a person? Because in our kind of finite minds, we think of personhood like us. We have a physical body, and then we have, you know, intellect, a soul, spirit, however you want to divide that. And so we try to reapply that back to God, 
But that wouldn't be a proper definition of personhood because then the, the question I would ask is then if when we die and we, we you know, separate from this body, it goes into the ground or whatever your spouse decides to do with it, do you lose personhood? No. See, personhood is merely defined by your mind, will, and emotions. That's what it takes to be personhood. And so when we study, again, all of Scripture, and we look at you know, the person of the Father, the person of the Son, and the person of the Holy Spirit, each have their own mind, will, and emotions. And that is how we are created in the image and the likeness of God. So the same context of having a mind, will, and emotions that God has, he gives to us, that we have our own mind, will, and emotions. And to take it even a step further, not just in, in the essence of who we are in personhood, but even how we uh, work and move and experience the world, at least at this very beginning of creation, what does God say to Adam and Eve? We're going to have them rule over. He's going to give them dominion. So we're not just like God and in his image and his likeness in our personhood, having mind, will, and emotion, and we'll define that a little bit more, but also we see God has complete dominion and ruling. And what does he do? He gives us that very thing. It's like God taking it even to a step further. It's not just in your personhood, but even how you experience the world that you're not going to be equal with everything else that I created. You're going to have dominion. You're going to have rule. You're going to have kingship over all creation. You are going to be that image of the invisible God to the physical world around us. Well, obviously we know we get in trouble here at chapter three and there's the fall of man and sin. And so there's never a great image of the invisible God until when? Jesus, Sunday school answer, let's go. You know what I mean? Like anytime the pastor asks a question, always go with Jesus. Because we see in Colossians that he is the image of the invisible God, completely unmarred by the stain of sin. And so we in our personhood, our mind, will, and our emotions having this dominion. So God gave us morals, morality. There's a moral law written on our hearts, and we can make moral decisions. Hence, even talking about pregnancy help center, the moral decision. You know, some people say, well, Nick, you're a, you're a man. You can't speak into that. That's a woman's issue. No, it's not. It's a morality issue. And every person, because God gave us the ability to make moral decisions, should speak into the morality of the culture and the world in which they live. So he gave us that ability to make moral decisions because he gave us an intellectual, an understanding, a reasoning, right? So we look, I have a, <clears throat> I have a dog at home, love this dog. And we would say, oh, man, she's really smart. She can do a few tricks. But then she just kind of stops at that. Right? She'll sit, she'll lay down, she'll shake. And usually you got to have a treat to get her to do anything past that. She knows to go to the bathroom outside, not inside, unless we're never home. And then there's the mess. But that's about it. We're not progressing as she gets older. But if we look at humans, what do we see? Just basic instinctual, like or do we teach our kids tricks? And that's how we get them to develop as humans? No. We see them intellectually develop and they get reason and logic and understanding. We're not just putting little treats for our kids so they'll go to the bathroom outside and not inside. You know, okay, maybe that's just me. Maybe you are doing that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you raise your kids how you want to. But God gave us a morality and intellectual. And then what else did he give us? This is a huge component that I think sometimes we miss. He gave us spiritual capabilities. 
unlike every other created thing, bird, fish, animal. He gave us a spiritual component, meaning we get to commune with God. And that's a huge part that sets us apart. And that's what I think one of the struggles I have against the whole evolutionary process that we're just an animal. No, we're not. Because we have morality, we have an intellect, but we also have a spiritual component that we can commune with our creator as a created being. And so with all of these capabilities, what we are are image bearers of the invisible God. One quote that I loved, it says, you are an image bearer with work to do. We, we bear the image of God with a work to do, but we're not a work doer with an image to maintain. There's some humility there, right? Because how many of us worry about our image and what people think of us and the trap of being people pleasers? And we're so focused on our image. You know, even when we talked about, uh, I think this was clear back in Matthew, like we don't have to make a name for ourselves. We've been given a name, and that is the name of Jesus. That's the name that we glorify. That's the name that we lift up. That's the name that we make known, not our name. We don't have to worry about our image. We don't maintain that. We're image bearers. The image that we should be worried about is that of God's. And so when we even, you know, a lot of times as we are praying and closing, I'll say things like that we want to be the hands, the feet, and the hearts of Jesus to those around us. That we don't want them to see us, as John the Baptist said. We want to decrease, John 3.30, and let Christ increase in our life. We want the image of Christ to be the thing that people see in us. That if people look at us and they're like, oh, there's Alex, there's Nick, There's Sean. Okay, now we're getting in the way of the image of who Christ is supposed to be in our lives. And so we're image bearers with work to do. And so God creates us, man, with morality, with intellectual, with spiritual capabilities. We have personhood, a mind, will, and emotions. And then he takes it one more step. Right, because again, we're, this is the this is the chronological thing, and then chapter two will get real, real specific. But before it even kind of really happens, what's it say? Verse twenty-seven. So God created man in His own image. We got that in the image of God He created them. We needed to hear it a second time. Absolutely right. Male and female, He created them. How's our world doing with that? <laughs> And where are we going to align? To the word of God or to the pressures of man that have no hope in Christ and how they define the world around us? Is it going to be offending? Absolutely. But let's not be offensive because the word of God is already offending. There's two, those are two different things. But male and female, he created them. Today we hear things like there's no difference between a man and a woman, and there's massive gender confusion. And not even just specifically with an individual that doesn't understand, am I a male or a female, and how do I feel, and it changes depending on you know, how I feel that day. Like, yeah, that's definitely a huge component. But do you know how the gender confusion has actually infiltrated the church a little bit? 
We let the world even define what manhood and womanhood is. And I think that is at at least a foundational level that has led to a gender confusion because we let the world define what a woman is. And so when there's a young lady that doesn't fit that world's definition, where did that gender confusion come from? The world that defined womanhood. Or think about manhood. We let the world define what a man is. And when there's a young man that doesn't fit that definition that's not biblical, he struggles with his identity because he doesn't understand, well, I'm not that, so then what am I? See, the foundation of the issue, and nobody's going to like this, starts here. Because if we refuse to define biblically what manhood and womanhood is, then we are opening the door and if not, just holding it and just ushering it. Yeah, come on right in here. Define this for us. Even though we have the word of God that clearly defines it for us, we don't want to hold to that because we don't want to be offensive. Or sometimes we're just so twisted in our understanding of biblical manhood and biblical womanhood. This is a conversation I have with my son all the time. I mean, look at me. I am not like that big, gruff, lumberjack kind of guy. I'm a little actually more artsy. I like music really good at art. There would be concepts that, you know, the world would define manhood, and I would get teased for that in school because I didn't fit that definition. I wasn't the football star type guy that just wanted to hit people. I actually, uh, unlike a lot of the guys that I went to, like, middle school with, like, I'm actually fairly comfortable to be around the opposite sex, you know, where they all look like buffoons and they don't know how to talk. You know, like that doesn't bother me. And so that was one of the things that I would get hit for. Like, oh, look, he's just hanging out with the girls. Well, they smell better than you. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm. And then I go into pediatric nursing, which I used to got teased for that. Think about it. My first day, first day on the job at the pediatric office, there's this big window. And I look out. And there's all these guys roofing in the middle of July or whatever. This, and I mean, they're just getting, they're sweating. And they, I'm sure it smelled like horrible, like don't even want to go. You know, it was just like, I just sat there and I thought, thank you, Lord, that I am not like one of these sinners out there. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I'm inside. And like the first day I walked into nursing school where I met my wife, like there was like 25 of us. And there was like three dudes. Two of them were married. I'm like, the odds are ever in my favor. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I was making investments into my life at that point. Like, do I want to hang out with a bunch of dudes roofing, or do I want to hang out with a bunch of, like, pretty women in scrubs? Like, let me think about that for a little bit. But again, we let the world define what biblical manhood and womanhood is, and it's not biblical. And then we wonder why there's such gender dysphoria and struggles in it. And we take it to that next level because when we see a young woman or a young man that doesn't fit the world's decisions, what do we say? We put on them their sexuality. Oh, because you don't fit that, oh, you must be gay. The problem is because the church doesn't want to stand up and define biblical manhood and womanhood. We have to identify the problem first. And I hear it from pastors my son went to a pastor's conference and one of these big burly dudes that could probably just snap my head off, you know, with a flick is defining biblical manhood. And he was absolutely wrong. My son came home and said, that was the worst that I've ever heard. He goes, if I went by that definition, I'm not a biblical man. That's how real the issue is. 
And one of the struggles that I think happens is, again, go back to personhood. It's a mind, a will, and emotions. And when we, again, allow the world to define it and not the word of God, that's where the confusion comes from. Because, I mean, every one of us, like when we, we cross that, you know, uh, crazy little barrier of just being like a 10-year-old kid, and then we were a teenager in that crazy growth phase that happens and your body's doing and the hormones are going all crazy. Like that is a very confusing time. Not just within gender, gender but in sexuality. And what is so struggling for me is the church remains so silent about it. I've grown women that would tell me, my mom never told me about puberty and how the changes in my body have, you know, guys are like, oh, I had, I ne-, you know, the example that I was given by the world of what biblical man, like I could never come and have those kind of questions. And I thought, how sad. Because honestly, what the world needs, what our culture needs is a place for people to walk through some of the things like, if you're a 13, 14-year-old and you're going through these kind of changes, yeah, your life probably does seem a crazy mess. And it's okay to maybe wonder and ask those questions, but let's be a church that allows the questions to be asked, that we can hear and listen to the struggle somebody's going through, but we're going to root them and ground them in the Word of God. But if we just take this, and smack them, use poor definitions of the world around us, what are we doing? No, we want to be a home for the broken and an encouragement for the hurting. And there's a lot of people that are hurting in this area of life. And the church needs to be a little bit more open to speak into it because, I mean, we're not giving on truth. We're not diluting the truth of the word of God. What we're helping is people to come alongside and hear and understand the word of God. And so I wish we could jump into exactly what is the, you know, the definition of biblicalhood, biblical manhood, womanhood. There's a lot there. The key thing that I would want to say, and I say this at weddings when I get to perform them, there's absolute equality between a man and a woman. It's just different roles. Man is not greater than woman. Woman is not greater than man. You know, even this idea that, oh, we need to have women need to have equality with man. What? That would be to lower yourself if you want equality. Like, don't dilute your role. You already have equality. There's absolute equality. There's just different roles, and that is good, because go back to personhood. I think that's why the gender dysphoria is such an issue. Personhood, we, as persons, have a mind, will, and emotions, but we carry those out in two different roles. Because that's how God designed it. He created them male and female. So a man's mind, will, and emotions is absolutely going to be different than a woman's mind, will, and emotions. Or am I the only one that can understand that concept? I mean, is a woman's mind really like a a man's mind? Easy, boys. Easy. Don't say anything is going to get you in trouble today, right? She might have made a really good lunch that you want to go home to, right? She's creating a beautiful home and a sanctuary for you to rest in. Be nice. Think about the emotions. Is the emotional uh, response of a woman the same as the emotional response of a man? No. Is either one wrong? Well, obviously, there's always the times that you can. But 
the, man, the mind, will, and emotions of a man is absolutely created in the image of God. And the mind, will, and emotions of a woman is absolutely created in the image of God. They both were created in that image and in that likeness. Yes, absolutely different in their personhood. But when God created man, he said, let's make him like us. And so this idea of feminism or gender dysphoria or even understanding biblical manhood and womanhood, it's from the very beginning of Scripture. And again, Satan is a counterfeiter. And if he doesn't like the glory of God speaking from the stars... He's definitely not going to like the glory of God seen as we, man and woman, walk in our proper biblical definitions of manhood and womanhood. And we guard and teach that. That's absolutely going to be a place that he's going to want to dilute, corrupt, and counterfeit. And he's winning at it. And the whole time, I believe the church is remaining too silent about the issue. But how do you do that? Discipleship. I mean, go fast forward to the New Testament. What's Paul tell us to do? Old men. And I see a few of you in here, right? You look like me. What are we supposed to be doing? Raising up the young men. Old ladies. And don't make me point it out. What are we supposed to be doing? Raising up the young women. But for us to be able to disciple well, we, the mature in Christ, need to understand well biblical manhood and womanhood. And then, again, we're image bearers with work to do. And so if you don't like how the direction of the younger generation is going, look in the mirror. Why are we allowing that? Why are we not stepping in and discipling? And so one of the destructive aspects of sin is that we marred the image in which we are to bear. So in essence, their sin is an unraveling of the created order. So we're closing up here, but turn to Romans if you would. Romans chapter 1. And we're going to pick it up in verse 21. So he's talking about how the wrath of God is revealed against un, all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And these men who in their unrighteousness are suppressing the truth, right? It's kind of like holding a beach ball underwater at a pool, right? Like you've you got to hold it down. It's not going to stay there naturally. But look at verse 21. So although they, you know, though... Those unrighteous men suppressing the truth, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. There's the rejection of it. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So from their rejection, now their, their reasoning is gone and they're claiming to be wise. So there's that philosophical, oh, we just need an intellectual type thing instead of a transformation heart and mind. And they became fools. Verse 23. And here's the replacement. So you have this rejection, you have this reasoning, and now the replacement. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images re resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things. 
So even as you study Genesis 1 and you see the created order where God is ending his created succession in the glory of what humanity is, uh, this created being that can have communion with him, when we as men in our unrighteousness suppressing the truth of God, what do we replace him with? And you see the digress of it. And so our salvation, our sanctification, it's a restoration of the image we bear. And we are reversing the curse of sin as we focus back on God's created order. And so we, this, this restoration of the image we bear, here's the beautiful part though, but it's not going back to Adam walking in the garden. Our restoration is now walking with Jesus in the world around us so that when people see us again it is not our image that they see but they see christ and we are image bearers with work to do pray with me father we love you we trust you and we thank you lord that we are not left to our own devices our own thinking our own reasoning our own logic but lord you give us the capabilities to commune with you and that you brought a communication form to speak to us and in us and through us, Lord, that we can commune with you and we just thank you for it. So as the world just continues to attack your glory and how the enemy just wants to make so many strides to counterfeit who you are and your created order, Lord, I pray that we would stand firm on the word of God, that we would continue to uphold your truth and we would do it with so much grace, Lord, so much love, so much mercy, because that is who you are as well. So as image bearers, Lord, I pray that we would lift the name of Jesus high in our everyday normal lives. Give us that kind of faith. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen.